In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Welcome to Mortgage Marketing Radio, brought to you by the Mortgage Marketing Institute, your number one source for truth in mortgage marketing. Hey listeners, Jeff Zimfer, welcome to another episode of Mortgage Marketing Radio. I am thrilled you're here today and I'm 100% confident that after today's episode, after you listen to this episode, you are going to be glad you're here too. You're going to be glad you're a follower, a fan of Mortgage Marketing Radio. So this week, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have a very special guest who uh, I have to give a quick shout out to my friend, fellow mortgage loan officer, Ed Connerkey, who on episode 71, we had a conversation about how to have advice versus price conversations and win. And uh, Ed and I, our conversation largely focused on becoming financially literate and educating your clients about something financially related on every conversation as a point of differentiation. And uh, one name came up in that conversation repeatedly. If you haven't heard that podcast episode yet, go back to that, right? It's episode 71, right? So you can just go to mortgagemarketinginstitute.com forward slash 71 to get to that. And then you'll understand what led us to this episode today. My special guest today is for 30 years, uh, this gentleman has worked every day to teach people about personal finance. He's widely regarded as one of the nation's top financial advisors, having been named in 2016 among the country's top 10 wealth advisors by Forbes magazine, the nation's number one independent financial advisor three times by Barron's, and one of the 10 most influential figures in the investment advisory field today. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Rick Edelman. Rick Edelman, author of nine books on personal finance, um, number one New York Times bestselling author with more than a million copies collectively in print. Uh, his first book, The Truth About Money, was recognized with an excellence in financial literary education book of the year award from the Institute for Financial Literacy and a gold medal axiom award and on and on and on. And since then, he's come out with multiple books. He's featured on 100 talk radio shows across the country. He's had his own television series and specials on public television airing across the United States and Asia. And um, listen, we want to talk about a man making a positive impact in 
uh, financial planning for everyday people. Today, Rick's firm, Edelman Financial, employs 161 advisors serving more than 36,000 families in 43 offices across the country, managing over $21 billion in assets. That is only the half of the resume, and that is some serious accomplishments. So I am just incredibly honored to have uh, Rick as a special guest, and I've been listening to and following him for a number of years um, on a previous local radio station of mine in Los Angeles, um, and and just you know was always impressed uh, with his grasp of financial planning, but probably equally important is his ability to take some of the complex concepts around financial planning and boil them down and break them down so a simple guy like me you know can understand them and i'm just thrilled here to have rick here today and our conversation covers a lot of different bases um number one you know we talk about why a guy with such a resume with financial planning finds the conversation you know talking about money boring um very interesting and then we get into 11 reasons why rick believes you should carry a big mortgage. We talk about using your 401k to buy uh, um, homes or not. Uh, we talk about uh, why most people still, even in a country where we've got a wealth of information, most people are still uneducated when it comes to financial planning. What are some things we can do about that? And we also talk about the future, right? How Rick sees mortgage planning professionals in the future, what their role will be, how to compete with right the influx of technology threatening to displace us, and what is really the core of success of anybody who is involved in financial advising of any type, whether it be financial planner, mortgage advisor, or whatnot. Um, we also get into uh, a conversation about the future, which is um, related to Rick's uh, most recent book, The Truth About Your Future, The Money Guide You Need Now, Later, and Much Later. And there's some interesting and compelling reasons. I found this book um, to be very, very interesting through the concept of uh, what the future holds, right? Um, for instance, we're likely to live a lot longer. Um, so how does that impact our financial planning, right? Uh, we're likely to live much more healthfully and vital, right? With more vitality than we've had in the past. And so why this is important and how it impacts our overall investment strategy. And then of course, an interesting delve and conversation into technology and the dark side of technology. Very interesting as we get into this. And uh, lastly, for those of you who are at all interested in, in stepping up your financial game, becoming financially literate and becoming more, having more of a, a fiduciary responsibility with your clients, maybe becoming, um, you know, getting involved uh, to a degree with uh, some financial planning aspects of your career, perhaps. What about if you're interested in affiliating with Edelman Financial and some of the 40 offices they've got around the country? How many times do you talk to a client where they don't have a financial planner and you wanted to refer them to a competent one? Or maybe you're looking for ways to partner with a financial planning firm such as uh, Rick and his team at Edelman Financial. Well, we talk about that as well at the end and provide some links in the show notes for ways that you can connect with Rick and his firm. So... All I can say is sit back, enjoy, don't be distracted, right? Uh, take some notes if you need to and enjoy this conversation we have with Rick Edelman. Let's get into this week's show. Rick Edelman, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Jeff. No, it's my pleasure, man. I really appreciate it very much. Um, you know, in the formal intro, obviously, I spent a lot of time talking about who you are, your, your, your kind of background and accolades. And for me personally, the impact I think you're having in the, in the financial planning space is, uh, you know, second to none, I guess, is, is what I'll say. Because uh, as I told you before, I'm a listener and fan and follower of yours for quite a few years um, on the radio. You have uh, made a huge impact with, I know, thousands of people across the country. But one of the questions I wanted to start with in doing some reading and preparing for this was, 
So looking at, you know, kind of your track record of success, if this is somewhat accurate, uh, Forbes ranks you consistently in the top 10 of independent financial planners, uh, three times ranked number one, over 30,000 families that you've helped, 42 offices, roughly 16 billion in assets under management. But something I read about you said, you find the conversation of money boring? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, we're at 21 billion now, but who's counting? Um, the uh, yeah, it is boring. I mean, money is. I, I really, I like to brag that I got through college without ever having to take a business class, which is crazy for you know a financial advisor with six professional designations and lifetime achievement awards and right. all this stuff. But it, it, it's because it's not about the money; it's about our lives. My wife Jean loves to say that personal finance is more personal than finance. And that's really the heart of it, is that it, it's not just about keeping score, which is what Americans love to do. You know, how much money do I have? How much money did I earn? Did I beat my neighbor? And, you know, am I making more than him and all this? It's really, uh, can we achieve our goals in life? Am I able to get my kids through college and off to a good start in life? Am I able to buy a home? Am I able to retire in comfort? Can I care for my aging parents? Am I able to support the community? It, that's what it's all about. And it's not about... Uh, expense ratio and and uh, PE ratio and uh, uh, technical charting. It's not about the markets. It's about life. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, money's boring, but the clients, that's the thrilling, exciting part. Ah, that's interesting. So I'm curious then, uh, you've obviously been in this game for many, many years. Um, financial education is something that's readily available out there in the world today. Why do you think that, um, and this is my perception, so correct me if I'm wrong, but why why do you think most people still struggle with that area and having a financial plan and succeeding financially. Yeah, you're right that there are both of those points. Um, yes, there's a lot of financial education available, and yet people still blow it. Uh, when I first started back in the 80s, there was no outlet for financial education. There was Louis Rukeyser. Uh, if you know who that was, you're dating yourself. I do. Um, nobody can, I used to yeah, watch his TV talk. show. <laughs> I'll, bet you can't, I'll bet you can't spell his name, though. No. Nobody can spell Rukeyser. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and you had Kiplingers, and that was it. And so when Gene and I started our practice, we began with financial education. We were teaching college planning courses to elementary school PTA groups. And, and then I started doing more and more seminars, and then uh, I was invited to do the radio, and then I started doing TV shows. And now I've written nine uh, books. I'm the number one New York Times bestselling author, and, and on and on and on, because it's all about financial education. So yeah, today, as you said, now there's a huge amount of availability of financial education and Literacy and it's dramatically improved, but yet still most Americans are financially illiterate. Most fail basic financial literacy quizzes. Why is that? It's real simple. Our parents will talk to us these days about sex. You know, my parents never did, but today sex is a common conversation at home. So is religion. So is politics. But money is still the taboo subject. Kids don't know how much money their parents make. Kids have never watched their parents complete a tax return. Parents don't talk to their kids about money. Schools don't teach about money either. Only 17 states require that high school kids take a class in financial education. And of the 17, only 14 require that they take a test associated with it. And employers don't teach about money either. They shove papers in front of you on day one saying, join the 401k, but they don't give you any financial education about why and how to do it. So we're all financially illiterate because nobody has told us of the need to learn how this works. So who does teach us? Most often, insurance agents and stockbrokers. 
Mm. who are trying to sell you something, which means you're not getting information, you're getting a sales pitch. And they love to intimidate you, obfuscate. They love to make you fear this subject. Many Americans have a fear of math in the first place, and they exploit that. They make you worry about things so that you're dependent on them. The fact is, personal finance and financial planning is not very complicated. Investment management is easy. There are basic principles anybody can learn, anybody can implement, anybody can maintain. It's inexpensive. It's simple. It doesn't take a lot of time. But Wall Street doesn't want you to know that. They want you to be their slave to their power. And it's not necessary any longer. So that's the the crusade that Gene and I have been on for the past 32 years of trying to help Americans understand how money works and how to put it to best use for themselves. Mm. Yeah. And I'll have to say, you you do a great job of educating on that and particularly not making the conversation of money boring. Uh, If anybody's heard your radio show, your podcast, seen you on TV, clearly you make it engaging and fun and, you know, talk about it in real world terms. So I think you know that probably, as you recognize, is is one of the keys to your success, if you will, in terms of building a following. I appreciate that. I mean, let's face it: the subject of money is boring, and yeah. if there are no visuals, you know, there's no car blowing up that you can put on TV. And so I do my best to make it as entertaining as possible on the air. Talkers Magazine named me the number two most important weekend only talk show host in the country. And and we're really honored to be able to get this message out across the country. Yeah. And what I love about you, if if, if I'm correct, right? So you're, um, you know, as I said, you've you've got over 30,000 clients that you, you help manage their finances, over 40 offices across the country. But what stands out for me unique and different about you is that, you know, it's not the typical place where you've got to, you know, start with 5 million for an account or whatever to get with a a financial planner. You're literally open to helping, right? The average mom and pop. Yeah. Our, our household minimum is $5,000. And if you don't even have that, we'll work with you pro bono. It really annoys us that the people who have the expertise who are best able to give you the advice you need, investment advisors often demand a $500,000 or $1 million minimum. I know a, an outfit that has a $10 million minimum. Goldman Sachs is $25 million. Mm. You know, Most firms won't talk to you unless you're already rich, because unless you're rich, they can't make a lot of money serving you. And we think that's incredibly arrogant. Uh, it'd be like a physician saying, uh, I will only work with healthy rich people because poor and sick people are wasting, you know, they're too much work and hassle. Mm. Um, it's crazy. We would never tolerate that in a society, but we do when it comes to money. So 1% of Americans have lots of access to financial advisors and accountants and attorneys, but the 99% of America who's working really hard to make things work for them are on their own. They can't find anyone to help them. And so we're devoted not only to serving millionaires, we've got a lot of millionaires as clients, of course, you know, with 21 billion in assets, but we're thrilled to serve anyone who wants our help, regardless of whether you have a lot of money or not. Okay. So let's, let's pivot a little bit because we know our listening audience is mostly, you know, mortgage loan officers and they're in the streets every day. Uh, I, I think on a similar quest, hopefully, and that is to, you know, help people make an informed decision about their mortgage. Um, how would you suggest for, for the mortgage loan officer listening right now? Because I see a lot of parallels to their role and to a role of a financial planner in terms of education. What are some advice or tips you would give them so that you know they could, A, differentiate themselves by providing education and, and help fulfill kind of that mission that I think they, they, they can relate to? You know, it's really interesting. Mortgage brokers get a bad rap because people perceive them as salesmen. Yeah. 
and they only deal with a mortgage broker because they have to. I mean, nobody wants to deal with a mortgage broker, but what people want is to buy a house. Right. The only way they can buy the house and get a mortgage, and that forces them to deal with the loan process. Nobody wants to. They have to. And they don't understand the mortgage process. Everybody hates the mortgage process because it's tons of paperwork, tons of time, lots of questions, often asked repeatedly. I mean, we all know the drill. And, and, and so mortgage brokers get a bad rap, especially because, by definition, mortgage brokers are doing something that American consumers inherently believe is against their best interest. What am I talking about? Your granddaddy said to you, owning a home is the American dream and owning it outright is what you need to do. Own your home free and clear with no mortgage. That's the American dream. And that myth has been foisted on the American public for a hundred years. So everybody grows up saying, I want to own a home and I want to own it outright because that's the safety. And here, when they come along to buy a house, they don't have the cash for that half million dollar house. They're forced to get a mortgage. So they're forced to do something they don't want to do, to do something that is contradictory to what their granddaddy told them to do. And on top of that, the paperwork process is crazy. The fees are ridiculous. The exercise is time consuming, blah, blah, blah. So mortgage brokers get a bad rap. They're selling people a product that nobody wants. In fact, I think that mortgage brokers are heroes. Because mortgage brokers are doing two things that most people do not fully appreciate. The first thing that mortgage brokers are doing is providing the money necessary to enable you to buy the house. Without the mortgage broker, you're not getting that house, period, end of story. So that's the first thing. And if we don't help you buy that house, it's not only bad news for you, it's bad news for the entire country because this economy's biggest industry is the real estate industry. Mm -hmm. And it's built on leverage because nobody has the cash to build these buildings, whether they're residential real estate or commercial office, uh, industrial, whatever. Everybody has to have the leverage to be able to afford these massively expensive projects. So the mortgage brokers make the world go round. That's the first part. The second part is something that I don't even think mortgage brokers fully appreciate. And I've been trying to spread the word within the mortgage community for 30 years. A mortgage, and I'm now particularly talking about home ownership, not necessarily corporate and commercial and all that stuff, because we deal with ordinary individual consumers at the retail level. Mortgages for ordinary Americans are one of the most important tools available to help you achieve financial success. In our view, you should never pay cash for a house. You should get as big a mortgage as possible for as long as possible, a big 30-year mortgage, as big as you can qualify for, and never pay it off. No 15-year loans, no biweekly mortgage plans, no extra payments. You just get a big a mortgage as you can qualify for that you can afford, make the regular monthly payment, leave it at that, which frees up as much cash as possible, which you can then invest. And that's how you help create wealth. And it's gotten to the point where I've created 11 great reasons why you should carry a big, long mortgage. It's in uh, a couple of my books. It's in The Truth About Money. It's in Ordinary People, Extraordinary Wealth. Uh, I've got a 90-minute video on the subject. I actually have an article on our website uh, for folks to read. And I'll tell you, it's very compelling information. And the nifty thing is, 
When I talk about why you want to get a big mortgage, people listen to me because they know I'm a fee-based financial planner. I'm not in the business of selling mortgages. I'm not a mortgage broker. I'm objective. I'm an independent third party saying this. When a mortgage broker says it, people think that they're full of conflict of interest. It's just a sales pitch. Why should I believe you? So that's why I, mortgage brokers who know me, they know I'm a big fan of them and I endorse the work they're doing. I think mortgage brokers are doing a terrific, valuable service for the American public. And so anything I can do to help mortgage brokers do their jobs, I'm happy to do because it's of such great value for the country. Yeah, I love that. And I know we're going to provide a link to people in the show notes so they can get a copy of uh, that report, 11 Reasons to Carry a Big Mortgage. Um, But speaking of your books, I was reading about that in one of your books uh, last night, and um, you have a great example in there about Nervous Nick versus Smart Sam. And and, and I think... And I think what you're hitting on here is kind of back to the original question. And I was actually thinking about this at the same time while I'm preparing for this interview, because you obviously, you know, um, have a team of financial planners under you that are dealing with people on a regular basis. And I'm sure you, just like the mortgage loan officer listening, they still need to, in their sales process, they need to differentiate themselves. And I'm assuming, well, I know just by who you are, um, one of the ways to differentiate is through education, Right. Right. And so and that's really the key. Yeah. In other words, mortgage brokers, I believe, if you just go in with a sales pitch of, hey, let me give you a loan, you're competing with every other mortgage broker on the planet. Right. What we have to recognize is that uh, one of the mistakes that investors make is compartmentalizing. Hmm. We've got a big, huge complexity in the world of personal finance. We have a lot of competing interests. Yeah, I'm trying to save for retirement, but I'm also trying to pay for my kids' college. I want to buy a home, but I'm also, you know, got uh, my need to save uh, to help my parents. And anyway, we, I, we've got all these conflicting issues. We've got short-term goals and long-term goals, trying to lower taxes while make, maximizing returns, all this stuff. If you as the loan officer are only focusing on helping you buy the house, you're ignoring all the other elements of that individual's personal financial situation. So my view is you can set yourself apart from the rest of the mortgage brokerage community by being holistic, by looking at it from a bigger picture, by saying to the client, your choice of a mortgage loan actually has an impact on your retirement savings potential. Mm. That's a conversation most mortgage brokers will never have with their client. And when you begin to help them recognize that this is a bigger conversation and you refer them to a financial planner who is like-minded with you, such as the advisors in my firm, Edelman Financial, we can now work as partners to help your client, our mutual client, not only get the biggest mortgage possible, but simultaneously maximizing their opportunities for retirement success. And the client will appreciate this to no end because now you're not just a salesman pitching a product. You're now a trusted advisor helping to serve the client's best interests. Mm. And boy, what a world of difference that is. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I have to take a moment to give a shout out to Ed Connerkey, who is uh, you know, a loan officer that I interviewed on the podcast, uh, who's also affiliated with you. And what, what kind of struck a chord during our conversation was you know, him becoming financially literate and, and, and his goal being in every conversation to educate the, the potential home buyer on one thing that they didn't know financially before as opponent differentiation. One of the questions he always asks to, to your point about, you know, the type of mortgage you choose is, you know, for instance, somebody shows up on the call. Yeah. You know, what's your rate on a 30 year fixed mortgage? His question is, well, well, why, why do you want a 30 year fixed mortgage? 
you know? Yeah. Just to start start there. Right. Exactly. Just to start the dialogue is the point because, yeah, because we need to have that conversation about the bigger picture and how the mortgage fits in to their overall plan. Um, I had a question for you on the 11 uh, reasons to carry a big mortgage, because some people probably heard that and thought, well, you know, the new tax law. And I know you addressed that as well. So how has the new tax law impacted, you know, the, the attractiveness of having a mortgage? Uh, and, and no impact. Uh, I mean, everybody's looking at the fact that the mortgage deduction, especially on home equity loans, is changed, lower tax rates, reduces the value of the tax deduction. Of my 11 reasons, the tax break is buried somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. The tax deduction is not a big deal when it comes to the strategy. I mean, let's face it, most, I don't know if it's most, but a great many Americans get little to no tax break from their mortgage either, you know, because of their income situation or tax situation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not because of the taxes. The number one reason for carrying a big, long mortgage is liquidity. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people do is they take 100% of their available cash and use it as a down payment. And they mortgage the balance. And the only reason is they have to in their choice because they've used 100% of their available cash, which often includes borrowing from parents or whatever, cashing in 401ks, uh, who knows what. It's a big mistake because if you have no cash, great, you've made the mortgage payment a little bit less. But if you lose your job or if you have some kind of other financial crisis, anything from the car breaking down to a medical problem or Mm. marital problem, all of a sudden, you have no resources. You have nothing to bail you out of that short-term problem you've got. Whereas if you minimize the down payment, conserve your cash, and invest that money, that money remains available to you should you ever need it. And you can generate an income stream off of it to help you make the new mortgage payment, which is now bigger than it otherwise would have been. Liquidity is king. Um, if, If you give up all of your available cash, you've got a really big problem. And this is why, ironically, the less wealthy you are, the more important it is that you have a mortgage. Mm. I mean, I don't care if Bill Gates has a mortgage or not. It's not going to make any difference to his net worth. But for the guy who's got $100,000 income and $30,000 in cash, oh my goodness, giving that cash away where he'll never see it again until he sells the house, that's He's setting himself up for a real crisis. So that just is an illustration that you need to think about this whole mortgage conversation in a manner completely different than you're used to. Are you a believer in borrowing from you know, 401k accounts or using investment money to, for, for the down payment on a purchase? No, absolutely not. Um, with one exception, definitely not use any money from retirement plan assets. Uh, that retirement plan is for retirement. IRA is an individual retirement account, not an individual, I want to buy a house account. So never touch those assets because retirement is far more important than anything else uh, from a financial perspective. Hmm. If you do have savings and investments, then sure, that money is free game for consideration for use as a down payment. Absolutely. Especially if you've been saving and investing with the home purchase in mind. Uh, but if the savings and investments are also equally earmarked for other purposes, such as your kid's college fund uh, or other reasons, then no, I'd be hesitant to doing that, which is, again, why we have to go back to the fact it's a financial planning process. Uh, and for that reason, we have to recognize 
uh, how important it is that we look at this comprehensively and holistically and not just, oh, I want to buy a house. Let's do whatever it takes, meaning liquidate everything everywhere. Let's borrow from everything everywhere and make it happen. You might succeed in getting the house and you also might simultaneously succeed at destroying the rest of your financial life. Yeah. Being house rich, cash poor. Yeah, exactly right. And in fact, there's a, uh, an important caveat, or I should say piece of fine print to my advice of getting a big, long mortgage, as big a mortgage as you can get. Mm-hmm. You also want to get the cheapest house possible to maintain your lifestyle. In other words, my advice is not that you get the most expensive house. Right. You want to get the cheapest house possible that meets your needs mm-hmm. and then get the biggest mortgage on it. This is not advice to buy too much of a house. We've all seen that that scenario where people buy more house than they can afford, and they end up losing the house. Think back to 08 when millions of Americans found that they had bought houses they fundamentally could not afford. And here's a newsflash for you. The mortgage industry got a lot of criticism back in 08 Mm -hmm. because so many Americans got mortgages that were fully levered, and then they lost those homes in the 08 credit crisis. Not a single American in the country, here's the newsflash, not a single American in the country lost their home because their mortgage was too big. The reason they lost their home is because they had simply bought a house that they couldn't afford. Mm. The mortgage is a smokescreen. I had nothing to do with it. If they had bought a cheaper house, if they had maintained better liquidity, they would have been able to maintain that property through the crisis. Mm. So make sure you don't buy too much of a house. And again, a mortgage broker can help there yeah. in counseling the client correctly. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. That's that's our opportunity to demonstrate, you know, use that word fiduciary responsibility, if you will. Right. Um, but but you've got to take some ownership in that you're you're saddling people with the biggest debt of their life. So it's not about making a sale. It's about yeah. putting them in the better place. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a horror story. Um, mm. A number of years ago, one of my clients, um, his parents died tragically uh, in their 50s. He inherited the money, and this kid was a high school dropout. Um, he's now in his early 20s. When his parents died, he gets this hundreds of thousands of windfall from an in, in, inheritance. Uh, a, a real estate broker hooks up with him and convinces him to buy a house for the full amount of the inheritance he got, $650,000. Kid had no job. And um, convinced him to buy the house and get a mortgage on it. And I said, when when the kid told me about this, he was my client, the son of my clients, uh, I called the real estate agent and said, how can you give him this advice? He will lose that house. And the real estate agent said, all I have to do is demonstrate that he'll be able to make the mortgage payments for three years. After that, it's not my problem. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, this is the most horrific approach. The more admirable approach would have been to counsel this kid to say, either don't buy a house at all or buy one far less expensive that you can, in fact, maintain. Mm. And so it's easy because there are some sleazy people in every industry, not just real estate or mortgages or investments. There are bad apples everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because of the bad apples, it's really easy for you to shine and set yourself apart. Ed Carnegie has done a great job of this. Um, And he has set himself apart in his community as a mortgage broker who cares about your personal finances and demonstrates this through the nature of his advice. He's not hesitant to say to a client, you shouldn't get this mortgage. You shouldn't get this big a loan. You should get a smaller loan. You shouldn't be buying that expensive of a house. Even though it costs him money because his sale will be smaller, his commission will be less, he's focusing on the client's best interests and clients love him for it. 
his referral business is huge because of it. Exactly. So I think everybody would do well by following uh, Ed's lead. Absolutely agree. Um, yeah, that even told me about a story about one of his clients where for three years they were just itching to buy a house. And, you know, they came back to him about once a year and presented the financial situation. Okay, are we ready now? And it's like, no, no, not yet. Not yet. Or <laughs> <laughs> so he said no to three opportunities to, to get because he could have done the loan. Right. But like you said, it's not right. the right thing to do. And they are so grateful to him for it. They have said, thank you, Ed, so much. We would have been in a bad spot had we made that decision. And I mean, what does that do to grow your business? You know? So every time they buy a new house, they're going to turn to him. Every friend who tells them they're in the market, they're going to refer to him. You know, it, you know, you can do well by doing good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So I know we don't have a lot of time left. I wanted to transition, uh, you know, as, as listeners know, there's, there's multiple books you've got uh, to be able to choose from. Um, one of your, I, I guess your original book was The Truth About Money, right? Yes, that was my first. Yeah, New York Times bestseller. Um, but what I'm most in, interested in for today's call anyways is the most recent book that uh, you just came out with, which is The Truth About Your Future, The Money Guide You Need Now, Later, and Much Later, right? The world's changing. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I was reading through that book and I was really actually kind of taken aback for a moment because you as a financial planner started getting into things that I didn't expect you to get into. Yeah. Uh, such as AI, machine learning, and, and things like that. Why, why are you talking about that uh, you know, under the umbrella of a financial planner? So I had the opportunity 10 plus years ago to meet Ray Kurzweil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, many consider him the smartest man on the planet. He's got hundreds of patents. He's on the faculty at Harvard, now director of engineering at Google. And he is the co-founder of Singularity University. And Ray encouraged me to go, uh, which I did in 2012. I went through their executive program. Uh, and it's all about exponential technologies, uh, where you learn about artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, big data, nanotechnology, biotechnology, bioinformatics, neuroscience, um, 3D printing, the blockchain, uh, financial technology, education technology, uh, the list goes on and on. And what I discovered through this program, meeting some of the world's sharpest minds in all of these fields, scientists and physicists and PhDs, uh, and on and on and on, that the rate of change in our society is accelerating because of the growth in computer technology. It's all about Moore's Law. You know, we, we know Gordon Moore, the co-founder of Intel, who said that every 24 months, the computers are doubling in speed and becoming half as expensive. Uh, it's now they're doubling at 18 months now. Even the rate of acceleration is itself accelerating. And they were all able to talk about the whiz-bang, nifty stuff that's coming down the pike, self-driving vehicles and uh, tourists on the moon and so on and so forth. And all that was great, but I asked them simply two questions. I said, what does this mean for personal finance? Mm. And how do we need to change our strategies? And no one was able to answer those questions because they had never contemplated the subject in that lens. So it set me on a journey 10 years ago to answer those two questions. What does artificial intelligence mean? What does self-driving cars mean for your investment strategy? For Mm. Uh, your career, for housing, for leisure and recreation, for insurance, for college planning. And I spent years in research, and it took me a long time to figure out the answers. And the result is my book, uh, The Truth About Your Future. So the first half of the book is an exploration of these technologies, because most people are unfamiliar with them. And the second half of the book is 
what it means for personal finance. And it's all extraordinarily fascinating. People are uh, astonished when they are presented with the future. I mean, we all know that uh, flying cars are in our future. I mean, George Jetson (laughs) will one day be a reality. We all know that. The question is, how long will it take for that to arrive? I'll pose the question uh, to you, Jeff. How long will it be Mm. before we see in the commercial marketplace self-flying cars? Wow. That is a big question. The immediate figure that comes to my head is 30 years. They're already flying. Really? In Dubai, Indonesia, and India, they're already in use. These vehicles will fly a passenger up to 200 pounds, up to a range of uh, 100 miles, up to uh, to 30 miles at 100 miles an hour, flying at an altitude of 3,000 feet. Many of these countries have recognized that they don't have a good infrastructure. They don't have a good road system. And it's expensive to build roads. So why don't we just fly from here to there instead? It's the same thing Africa did in the 1980s with telecommunications. We spent 100 years laying cable Mm -hmm. across the country for telephones. They went straight to cellular. Mm -hmm. They skipped the 20th century. They went from the 19th century to the 21st, thanks to wireless communications. Mm -hmm. And many of these countries are doing the same thing with transportation. They're saying, why build roads when you can build drones? Well, obviously, somebody hears that and the immediate thought, you know, I'm getting visions of Blade Runner in my head, but uh, uh, the immediate thought is, you know, I mean, chaos. Well, there are a lot of issues associated with a lot of these technologies, and that's chapter 12, the dark side. Don't right. read it before you go to bed. <laughs> uh, I was reading it. And- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, the chapter 12 will freak you out, simple yeah. as that. But the point is, the future is coming much faster than we had thought. Yes. And as a result of this, we need to look at very serious changes in how we manage our personal finances. Everything from college to career to insurance to investment management. And the good news is, throughout all of this, it sustains and supports the mortgage advice. Because... We're going to be living a lot longer than ever, and that means a 30-year mortgage makes more sense than ever. Mm. Are we going to see 60-year mortgage? I could argue it's my new 12th reason. Because <laughs> we're living longer? Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, longevity is at the crux of many of the changes that are coming about in, uh, in our society. Right now, life expectancy is age 88. Mm-hmm. What many people don't know is that in 1900, Life expectancy was 47. Mm. At the American Revolution, uh, the average life expectancy was 23. So it's now at 88. So we are advancing our longevity. Scientists are now at the point where we're adding a month a year to longevity. Wow. Really? And it's not going to be very long where we reach what they call escape velocity, where we're adding a year for every year. So the longer you live, the longer you're going to live. We're projecting that at this stage, most people today are going to live into their 110s or 120s. Wow. And that means the notion of retirement as we know it, where you retire at 65 and are dead at 85, Mm -hmm. that's passe. That's not going to be your future. That was the future your grandparents had and maybe your parents. It's not the future you and I are going to have. Hmm. Uh, or our clients. And with a longevity of that nature, it upends everything. It upends college planning. It upends careers. It upends investment management. Uh, And so we have to shift 
our strategies and our approach because of all of this, because we're going to be living not only so much longer, but so much healthier than ever. They're projecting that by the time you're 95, you'll be healthier than when you were 55. Uh, And that aging itself is merely a disease. They're already reversing aging in mice in experiments in Japan. Um, So it won't be very long before they're able to do this with humans. So it's all getting very, very exciting, and it's happening very, very fast. Uh, One aspect, I'll give you an illustration in the world of investment management. Back in 1920, the typical company in the S&P 500 had a uh, life of 65 years. Today, the average S&P company lasts 15 years, which means by 2025, 40% of the S&P 500 will be gone. So when people ask me, how should I be investing my money, or they brag that they own an S&P 500 stock index fund, I'm like, really? 40% of those companies won't even exist. Hmm. So you've got to really ask yourself, how am I managing my money? Look, look at Kodak. Hmm. In 2012, Kodak went bankrupt. You know why. We stopped buying film because of our smartphones. It's all now digital photography. And Kodak couldn't make the leap from being one of the best-known brands worldwide, one of the biggest companies in America with 130,000 employees. They went broke due to a technology overnight. And in the same year they went broke, Instagram, 18 months old with 13 employees, was sold for a billion (sighs) dollars. Okay. using digital technology that Kodak invented. So we need to change how we manage our investments because many of the companies you're buying in your mutual funds are not the companies of the future, they're the companies of the past. Exactly. And, and what you're talking about here is disruption. And yeah. I want to kind of close out on that note because I think you've got a really, you know, um, your thumb on top of kind of the changes or the, the, the disruption that's coming in the financial sector um, through the lens of, you know, you've got obviously your firm uh, with your financial planners. And then we've got my listeners, which are retail mortgage loan officers. And, and you know, there's a lot of buzz about uh, the technology disruption coming in the mortgage and real estate space. So I'd be curious to hear, you know, a couple of quick points from you on advice or, or what you see coming and how do we as financial professionals pivot to stay relevant? You know, what would be some suggestions you have? First, become aware of exponential technologies so that you can effectively evaluate the impact of these technologies on your career. One of the things that mortgage brokers, quite frankly, have to be aware of is that artificial intelligence and robotics pose a very real threat to your career. Uh, It's projected that over the next 15 years, 40% of the jobs in America will be eliminated due to automation. And uh, anything that involves paper is likely to be automated because computers are faster, they're more accurate, uh, they're cheaper, and they never um, have a sick day. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They never have an attitude and they never cause sexual harassment in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have to recognize that the mortgage process can be largely automated. Look at uh, uh, Quicken Loans. Uh, Look at the, uh, the, the online advice that is already available. In the future, it's quite possible that when someone seeks to buy a house, automation will uh, provide the mortgage right away. So how do you compete in that kind of a world? Well, you're already competing against Quicken Loan, and you've managed to do that. How? Number one is relationship. Mm. Number two is a broader array of advice. I mean, in my field as a financial advisor and investment manager, we deal with robo-advisors, you know, online investment management services. I'm faced with competing against technology as well. How do we do it? 
by providing a broader array of services than the robos are capable of doing and providing a relationship value that alleviates the client from having to do it themselves. The biggest problem with Quicken Loan is that the consumer has to be the one at the keyboard. They can't delegate it to someone else. And that's part of the relationship value. Uh, So you've got to be aware of what's going on technologically so that you can determine how you can compete in an increasingly competitive environment. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I'd say start with my book, The Truth About Your Future. Uh, And uh, in there are a variety of sources for further learning so that you can stay uh, up up to date because the information is changing at a very rapid clip. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's great. That's why I, I like I said I, I grabbed that book and just started digesting it last night. I, I barely got through half of it, but and, and actually I skipped ahead to the dark side because uh, yeah, I mean you have to right with that kind of title. <laughs> who, who doesn't want to read the, it? It made me think of uh, shows like uh, Black Mirror on uh, is that the yeah yeah Black Mirror on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. Where I, uh, I have not. It's it's interesting. It's very relevant to what you're talking about there. In that technology is is really you know changing our society and taking over. And um, you'd find it kind of interesting a couple of those episodes to see the influence that digital technology um, being pervasive. There was this one particular episode um, where you talk about augmented reality. I think in one of the chapters, which is you know yep. you, you have the technology to look at a person and like in the case of the sports, right? You can, you can instantly look at your screen or hold up your tablet and you get like the stats on the baseball player and all that stuff. Well, in in this this particular episode, um, you had an eye piece, like a contact lens you put over your eye. And as you meet people out and about, it immediately uses that augmented reality to give you like their social score, right? What's their ranking on their social profile. And people didn't associate with people like below a 2.6 and all that. It's really crazy. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that's where it's going. Anyway, so very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for being here. I know you're busy. Let's uh, give the listeners, uh, where can they go to get access to your 11 reasons to carry a big mortgage? Uh, If you go to my website at uh, rickedelman.com, on the main page there, uh, if you scroll down, you'll see uh, a series of uh, stories you can scroll left and right. And one of those boxes has the mortgage article, 11 Great Reasons to Carry a Big Long Mortgage. You can also read my books, The Truth About Money mm-hmm. and Ordinary People, Extraordinary Wealth. Awesome. So I'm going to provide those links in the show notes, obviously links to your your website, uh, book resources and things like that. I guess one, one other question real quickly, uh, and this was, reminds me of uh, the chat I had with Ed Connerkey. What about the, there are mortgage loan officers when they're taking a 1003 and app from somebody and hopefully they're asking good questions. One of those questions would be, you know, do you have a financial advisor? And when people hear, you know, no, I don't. Um, I recommend that people are, are, are providing referrals to a competent financial advisor. Would you be, or are you, you know, are there ways for my listeners to perhaps align themselves with, you know, perhaps a financial planner in their local market? Yeah, we, we work often with mortgage brokers, uh, and we're very happy um, to do that. We can do joint seminars uh, mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can provide our educational materials that explains why you should carry a big, long mortgage. Uh, we can provide a lot of resources and partner with you with your clients and, and exchange referrals. A lot of our clients are buying homes, and they're looking um uh, to get a mortgage. And so we're always looking for mortgage brokers that we can uh, work with. So yeah, just uh, send me an email mm-hmm. uh, to askrick at rickedelman.com. 
and uh, send it directly to me, and I'll put you to hook you up with my uh, colleagues. Uh, we have offices, 43 of them across the country, uh, and happy to uh, put you together with us, and uh, we can help out uh, an awful lot of people together. Yeah, definitely. So I'll put a link to that email in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, I think for those listening that uh, are looking to align with a professional firm like yours, uh, you know, it's just going to be great for your business uh, and, the, and the greater good of our clients that we're all serving together. So Rick, man, I appreciate you being here very much. Um, I'm going to keep listening to you on the radio show. So keep doing the good work you're doing. And uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough for being here. Jeff, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. If you like today's episode, please take a moment, leave us uh, a little ranking uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. And we definitely appreciate you. So we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Marketing Radio. Want more truth in mortgage marketing? Get more free training and resources at MortgageMarketingInstitute.com. Hey guys, what's up real quick. Uh, you've heard about the mortgage marketing pro membership before. And I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business. Let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done-for-you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done-for-you proven marketing materials and plug-and-play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.